So we have been working through our series called Back to the Basics, uh, looking at the foundational beliefs of who we are as a church. Uh, And we have been working through the statement of faith of the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is the denomination that we're a part of. Uh, as As I hear people refer to the Alliance Church, sometimes I watch them go, weird name, like coming out to Alliance, we're a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, And these statements of faith uh, get us back to the basics of our theology, our understanding of who God is. And so over the past few weeks, we were looking at the state mankind finds himself in, sinful, fallen, and separated from God, and how the atoning work of Jesus, the work he did on the cross, purchased us back and allows us to have right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Last week, we talked about what it looks like to put our faith in Christ, to stand firmly on the promises that He has made for us. And now I want to look at what comes after that. You make the decision in faith. You respond to the offer of the good news of Jesus Christ. You say, I want eternal life. I want to go from death to life through what you've done for me. And this is where our seventh statement of faith picks up. It says this, It is the will of God that each believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit and be sanctified holy. Don't be scared by that word. We'll come back to it. Being separated from sin and the world and fully dedicated to the will of God, thereby receiving power for holy living and effective service. This is both a crisis and a progressive experience wrought in the life of the believer subsequent to to conversion. First of all, anytime I can use the word wrought, uh, it's makes you feel pretty wise. I had to look it up like, wait, what does that really mean to make sure that I was on the right page with it? But let, let's begin breaking this statement down as we've been doing um, each week and just kind of thought by thought work our way through it. It is the will of God that each believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, first, we need to start with this. Once you become a believer... What the scriptures teaches is that you receive the Holy Spirit into your heart. That God gives each of us his Holy Spirit. And in our third statement, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to go through all of who he is right now. But I'd encourage you, if you weren't here for that or if you miss any of these, they kind of build on each other. All of our messages are online uh, on our website. And you can go back and listen and kind of catch up. Um, God gives each believer the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to, to literally live within our hearts. This is something given to every single believer at salvation. Ephesians 1, Paul talks about this, and he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He's saying when when you heard the good news of what Jesus had done on your behalf and you responded in faith, believing in him, that God placed his Holy Spirit in your heart. It it is a a seal. It is that thing that, that we can always look back on those days when we doubt, do I really believe? Is he really there? You can literally just say, Holy Spirit, are you with me right now? You can seek the Holy Spirit and he will make himself known to you. I believe that wholeheartedly as that reminder, I have been transformed by Christ. He is now living within me and it gives us faith. 
It is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. One day we won't have those questions anymore. One day we will see him face to face. Faith won't be necessary because there he is. But until that day, he has given us a guarantee, his Holy Spirit living inside of every believer so that we can know exactly as David was, was speaking earlier that he has never left us and that he will never forsake us. In fact, he's moved in even closer than we could ever imagine. But there is a distinction between receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled by the Holy Spirit. We have all been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, but then there's this choice that we need to make on whether or not we will be filled by the Spirit. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, look, every believer's been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then four chapters later, he says this, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless action, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So first, in chapter one, he said, look, all of you, if you're followers of Jesus, you've been given the Holy Spirit. But then in chapter five, he says, now you have to, to live wisely. You have to make wise choices and choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between receiving and being filled by the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists, certainly that we're aware of, said this, the greatest need today is for men and women who know Jesus Christ as Savior to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he takes it a step further, which kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. If we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we're sinning against God. Like that, I'm not always comfortable with that, I'll be honest with you. But when Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that was a command. And when we choose not to be filled... We're actually living in opposition, in sin against God. The first time I read this, I had to sit and chew on that for a while. It made me really uncomfortable. But the greatest need today is for men and women who know Jesus Christ as Savior to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you this question, and let's talk for a little bit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? There's that truth that we've all received the Holy Spirit, but then there's that command to be filled. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And there's a lot of differing thoughts out there on this, and, and it's okay. We're going to make it through it, I promise. I've heard to be filled means, like, another word you could replace is, like, to be controlled. So, like, letting him live your life through you. Like, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but he lives through me. So, like, I pray that every day and ask him to kind of do, like, give me words. Okay. So she's saying the filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with control, giving him control of your life. She mentioned, referenced Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. And that that's like a filling of the Holy Spirit, okay? Anybody else, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay. Okay. So right alongside with that control, giving him control, submission. I'm submitting myself to him. I'm submitting my actions, my reactions to him, giving him input into my life and the way that I respond. Tim?
right. Yeah. Yeah, that passage from Ephesians 5 that we read, um, oftentimes in the church, the wrong piece has been highlighted. Uh, and, and we've taken that passage to go, so don't drink. It says, don't get drunk, which leads to, uh, some passages say debauchery, the one that I read, uh, says reckless actions. And we've really keyed in on that part, which is true. There is a, certainly a danger to drinking, and that, that is a command not to allow ourselves to be drunk. Absolutely true. But the more important part is what follows. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's trying to draw, draw this correlation between the two of going, when you're drunk, you are not in control anymore. What is in control of you when you're drunk? Alcohol. The alcohol. It affects how you walk, how you talk, how you act, how you react. It affects every area of your life. And so he says, look, getting drunk is not the way for Christians to be because it puts the wrong thing in charge. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit control of the way you speak, the way you act, the way you react, all of these things. This is why we don't give him a microphone, everybody. No, yes, that's, that's a t-shirt. I love it. Which they love, by the way. Only one of them ever said, it's not fair, you don't have a boss. And so that was like a three-year-old statement about how mom, it's not fair, mom doesn't have a boss. And I remember saying, I do have a boss. I said, God is my boss. And he, in his three-year-old wisdom, said, yeah, but he's a good boss. Which I'm sure he was implying some things in there, but it was like very true that like, right. Don't get ahead of things. Period. Stop thought. We'll come back to the rest of it. Yes. First, a staff member throws out the right answer and kind of like steals your thunder. And then your wife starts moving on down later in the sermon. Like, come on. Yeah. Oh, did I not say thank you? I'm sorry. Thank you. So here's the thing. Uh, the term filled with the Holy Spirit, can be a little misleading on the surface. Uh, I, I want to be very clear here. This is not about getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's not like God gave you a cup, but you need a gallon. And so there's this pursuing like to get more of the Holy Spirit. That's not the case that we find ourselves in. When God gave us his Holy Spirit, we had all we need. Second uh, Peter he says this, his divine power, his being God's, has given us everything required for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We've already been given everything we need for both life and godliness. We don't need to go and try to get more. That's not really what being filled with the Spirit means. What it is, it's about giving the Holy Spirit access to more of me. If I have a bucket with a whole bunch of rocks in it and I put water in it, 
there's only so much water. The water only has access to so much of the bucket. The thing that I need to do if I really want a bucket full of water is remove the rocks, right? Our lives work the same way. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to give him access. Somebody once put it like this. This is not original to me, but I don't know where it came from. They use the illustration of a house. The, the scripture talks about God making our hearts his home, right? He comes to live in us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Have you guys ever invited somebody over to your home and, you know, they walk in the door and, hey, so glad you're here. And the first thing you do is kind of give them a tour. Yeah, this is the living room. This is here's what's really happening. If you've ever been that person being given a tour, they're telling you, here's where you're allowed to go. <laughs> All the other doors, if you notice, are closed. And what you don't do when you're going to somebody's house and they say, this is the living room, this is the kitchen, you don't go, what's behind this door? Ooh, can you imagine? We would be so offended. God is a gentleman and he is the same way. When he comes to live in our heart through his Holy Spirit, we go, man, I'm so glad you're here. This is the foyer. Don't move. This is what you get. But out of love... Slowly, he begins to go, hey, what's in that room? Hey, what's in this closet? Ooh, the bedroom. Can we take a look in there? And we have a choice to make in those moments. Are we going to allow him access? He will fill all of the space that we will give him access to, but are we going to allow him access? What's in that closet? That's where I hide all my junk when people come over so they don't see what a mess I am. You don't want to look in there, Holy Spirit. And he's going, I really do. Do we give him access? Do we allow him to fill every area of our lives? That's really what we're talking about when we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Not getting more of him, but giving more of ourselves to him. Does that make sense, church? So now, on to the question Kim wanted to answer. Why don't we let him into every room? We, we know it's good for us, right? We know it's better to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Again, this is an easy answer. Shake your head, church. Yes, we know it's better. How many of us actively do that every day? My hand is down. We all have those areas of our lives where our temptation is to lock the door, is to keep him out. Why don't we let him into every room? Okay. Yeah. She's describing, we all have this fear of, but what if he doesn't like what he sees and he rejects me? Now, I will tell you this, Alana and everyone else listening, it's an irrational fear. As David shared earlier, he has already promised, I will never leave you and never forsake you. Let's just be real. Does he know what's on the other side of the door? Does he really need your help? Like, no, but he's not going to force it on you. But there's that fear in many of us that goes, but what if he's just waiting to find something he doesn't like so that he can go, look, I'm out. This is not the God that we serve. This is not what the scriptures teach. But that fear is there. And one of the healthiest things we can do is recognize that fear and call it by name and begin to go, wait, 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 your word says this. Now it becomes, am I going to trust your word or am I just going to trust my own anxiety? And we can begin to do battle with it. Okay, so there's that fear. What if he doesn't like what he sees and he rejects? What else?
Yeah. 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 There's a. When I first started going to church, the church that Kim and I uh, grew up in, when, when I, for me growing up was as a young adult in church, um, there was a lot of pleated pants and suits and ties and the whole thing. And there was a real fear of like, is that what I have to be? Like, do I have to like lose the things I really like about myself to like follow Jesus? You know, and I have to become just listen to really boring music that I really don't like. And I have to like... And that was a legit fear that I had to work through. And somebody, again, I can't remember who it was, shared with me and said, no, no, no. When, when you truly allow Christ access, he makes you the fullest version of yourself that you could ever be. Like all the things that, that make you who you are, he gave to you. And he wants to take them to a new level. He wants to refine them and perfect them, not squash them and get rid of them. He's not trying to make cookie-cutter Christians that all look alike, love the same things, only do the same things. He loves variety, that's why he made it. Do we trust him enough to allow him access and go, I believe you're gonna turn me into the truly the best version of myself because that's who you created me to be. Somebody else started sharing. If the heart of being filled has to do with control, has to do with he's in charge, I'm not. He, he wants to see what's in that room because he wants to help me clean it up. You know, he wants to help me make it like it was supposed to be. I don't like to be controlled. I want to be in control. That's honestly the essence of sin, is rebellion. I'm in charge. The filling of the Holy Spirit is moving in exactly the opposite direction. Claire, do you have something? Yeah, we, we hide in there the things that, honestly, we're hiding from. I don't want to see the mess. I don't want to deal with it anymore. So we put it in a closet and close the door, out of sight, out of mind. And if he asks us to open that, he's going to ask us to go through the closet with him. Now, again, here's the faith part. He is never trying to do something painful in your life because that's like how he gets his giggles. He is trying to bring healing and wholeness. He is trying to bring his transformation to you and we have to go to some of those painful places if we're really going to experience that transformation. Janetta? Yeah, well, I think that, like, in the past, I thought that people were for something. Yeah. Like, that's really, that's really awful to me. Right. And that isn't true. Right. I mean, in the, in the past, in the trauma and stuff like that, God has to work through that. Yeah. 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 Sometimes if we're not careful, closing the closet door looks like going, hey, God, I'm sorry. And we close the door and then let's never look at it again. And he doesn't just go, okay, yeah, let's just never talk about it. He's like, I forgive you. Now let's deal with it because I want you to grow. I want you to, to be healed by it. The essence of it is control. 
Do we really trust him? Is he really a good father? Is he really a good God? Is he asking into that part of my life because he loves me or because he's wanting to throw stones? Because he's waiting to condemn me? Because he's, these are the fears that we have. And really what it comes down to is faith. Do I trust that he is a good father who has my best interest at heart? If so, take it all. Here's the key to every door. Where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. That like, yeah. I'm just very sure that my way is better. Like, at least for right in this moment. Yeah. Like, even if I believe his way is better in theory, like right now, this way, it makes sense, it's easier, it's natural, it's going to avoid this thing, I don't want to, whatever it might be. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot, it's like all of this is true. Like, why won't we look at this stuff? Why won't we open it? Why won't we trust him? Well, because, like, we, of our arrogance, like our pride yeah. is Mm-hmm. Don't focus on following the spirit and I get like here's your ten steps to overcome this sin kind of thing. Right. And um, we've seen that not work. Right. And we just like I'm like I don't I'm not gonna waste my time because I don't think I can change because I don't think it often. Yeah. I, I've tried in my own strength to clean the closet and it didn't work. It, it got worse. And so I just kinda don't even want to go there again. But do we trust him to lead us into those things? It is, it is the will of God that each believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit and be sanctified holy. Uh, in case you're listening later, uh, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, fully, not holy, H-O-L-Y. What does it mean to be sanctified? That's a theological word that you will not find anywhere else in the, word, in the world. You're, you're never going to be at a business meeting and they talked about sanctification. Like, this is purely a church word. What does it mean to be sanctified? It's on our wall over there. We believe Jesus is our savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. It's kind of our, we call it the fourfold gospel. These are kind of, again, some of this core of who we are. And sanctifier is right there. What does it mean to be sanctified? What? Holified. (laughs) To be made full of holes. Yes. Sanctified and holy are directly linked together. They're, They're almost synonyms for one another. What does it mean to be sanctified? You, you could say to be made holy. That would be a, a fine way of looking at it as well. To be set apart. To be set apart. The word holy literally means set apart. Set apart for a specific use, for a specific purpose. Okay, there were holy instruments that were only used for this task, for this thing at, in this season. And God desires for us to be set apart. What does that mean? What does that look like? Okay, to be made more like Jesus every day. Really, when we talk about this word sanctification, sanctified, sanctifier, I mean, any of those things, what sanctification means, it's simply just the process of being made to look more like Jesus. 
being made to look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday, this year than I did last year. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. When we are filled by the Holy Spirit, he sanctifies us. He makes us more like Jesus. Paul says this in in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? Amen? We all with unveiled faces, don't worry about that. He's just going, look, there's nothing, there's no barrier between us and God. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, when we allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we see Jesus clearly, almost as in a mirror, and his work is to transform us into the image of Jesus, to become more like Jesus. And that doesn't mean we're going to look like a first century you know, Jewish carpenter, but in our character and in our priorities... We become more like Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He sanctifies us. He transforms us to look more like Jesus. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That is the Spirit's desire for your life. The reason he's knocking on those doors and wants to see what's in there is because there's something in there that's keeping you from looking like Jesus. And he wants to come in and transform you. To sanctify you. It is the will of God that each believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit and be sanctified wholly, completely, being separated from sin and the world. So we've talked uh, last week when we were talking about faith and putting your faith in Jesus, we kind of got that idea of separate from sin. We talked about repentance. I was walking towards sin. Now I'm I'm walking away from my sin and I'm walking towards Jesus. So we kind of get this idea of being separated from sin, setting down my old habits and patterns and picking up the new ones that God is calling me to. But we can get tripped up on this one, being separated from sin and the world. What does it mean to be separated from the world? What was it? To look different, different. okay. Turn away from the ways of the world. Okay. What does that mean? I I agree. Turn away from the ways of the world. Like, what are the ways of the world that we need to turn from? Let's try to get practical. Okay. The things that the world tells us we need to value. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in 1 John, he's referencing, there's, there's a passage that says, look, here's what the world chases after. It's the, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and all these things that we know will kill us, and we're called to be separated from those things, okay? Anybody else? What, what does it mean to be separated from the world? There's a statement like, speak your Okay. Okay. Alana brought up one of the a common statement in the world right now is speak your own truth. That's my truth. Uh, and part of that, <laughs> it's garbage. Um, you guys picked up on that. Wow, that was, I thought I was slick. Is going, no, there's only one truth and it's yours, Jesus. Your, your word is truth. Uh, John 17, 17, sanctify them by, their, by your word. Your word is truth. I'm going to stand on what he says, not on the things the world tells me to stand on. Value the things he values, not what the world tells me. I'm going to put my faith in him, not in all of the things the world is telling me that I need to really be happy, to really have purpose, whatever it may be. 
This doesn't mean that we are removed from the world. We're not called to be Amish or go live in a monastery. I can make Amish jokes because they're never going to listen to the recording. We're not called to remove ourselves from the world and to cloister together in these little safe havens so that the world can't infect us. Here's the thing. In Scripture, oftentimes that word, the world, is synonymous with another word called the flesh. Guess what goes with me everywhere I go? The flesh. That's really what it's talking about. The, thing, the parts of me that value the things of this world above the things that God is calling me to. That looks for them to satisfy me when only God can satisfy me. We're called to be set apart, separated from those things, and recognize this world will not satisfy. The things of this world will not satisfy. That is only found in the presence of Jesus. That is what it means to be, to be separated from the world. It is the will of God that each believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit, be sanctified holy, being separated from sin in the world, and fully dedicated to the will of God. No longer chasing after the things the world tells me I need to chase after. But in my heart and mind, I am dedicated. Lord, your will above my own. The things you call me to above the things the world is clamoring for. I want to be fully dedicated to the will of God. Here was Paul's prayer for the church in 1 Thessalonians. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, transform you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. May you be set apart. May you be reserved and kept blameless on the day of Jesus Christ, because that's the work that God is trying to do in you. He wants to transform you and have you be dedicated to the things of Christ above the things of this world. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Caveat, if you give him access. It is the will of God that each believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit and be sanctified holy, being separated from sin and the world and fully dedicated to the will of God, thereby receiving power for holy living and effective service. If we will allow ourselves to be fully dedicated to the will of God and filled by his spirit, we will receive power for holy living and effective service. Receiving the power for holy living looks like this, Galatians chapter 5. Most of us know this and we could quote it, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. They've been separated from the world and their sin. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. This, this power for holy living looks like this. Love where normally hate would come out. Joy where normally there would be bitterness. Peace where normally there would be anxiety. Patience where there would be anger. Allowing the Holy Spirit's control to just overwhelm us until the ways that we treat one another, the ways that we act and react, look like the ways of Jesus. As we submit ourselves to his control, we are empowered to live the life that he has called us to live. Because listen, he doesn't just say, look, so if you follow Jesus, try to be more loving and try to be more joyful. He's talking about supernatural amounts of love, of joy, of peace, of patience. 
I think of Philippians chapter 4 when he says that, that when, we, when we submit ourselves to Christ, we'll receive a peace that transcends understanding. That people look at and they go, what even is that? I would be losing my mind. I would be bitter. I would be attacking. But you have this peace and I can't understand it. That's the kind of, that's the amount and the quality of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that he's talking about. It comes only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's what's required for holy living, the life he's called us to live. We must submit to the Holy Spirit, allow him access to every part of us, and watch what he will do. Receiving power for holy living and effective service. Effective service, I think of Acts 1.8, where Jesus, this is kind of his parting shot. He says this and then literally leaves the earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He goes, when my Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive the power to be on mission with me. The power to serve as I served. The disciples knew what this meant to be a witness. They watched the way Jesus loved people. They watched the way that he served people. And he was going, when my Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive the same kind of power that I had. There's another spot where he promises them, you will do even greater things than you saw me do through the power of his Holy Spirit. As we submit ourselves to the Spirit's control, we receive power to serve the way Jesus has called us to serve. I'm not, I'm not going to get into all of these now, but in, you can write these down. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are listed, and they're listed as a manifestation of the Spirit's power, which means the Spirit making his power like known, evident in our midst. So why? So that we can serve one another for the body's good. Through the power of his Holy Spirit, we gain the ability to serve one another. And I would even say the humility to be served by one another. This only comes through the filling of the Holy Spirit. We can try any other way we like, and we're going to fall flat on our face. But as we are filled by the Holy Spirit, we will receive power for holy living and effective Christian service. And the last part, this is both a crisis and a progressive experience wrought in the life of the believer subsequent to conversion. Some big words in there. But this is both a crisis and progressive experience. That word crisis, most of the time when we think of a crisis, we think of something bad happening in our lives, right? There was like a tornado, there was a flood, there was this crisis. But what we really find, like the word crisis literally just means like life-defining event. Something that will mark your life from that point forward. It kind of resets the clock. There was things before that time, and then there was life after that time. It was a crisis event. And you guys have all heard of a crisis of faith, right? And really what that is, that's actually a beautiful thing where someone now has the opportunity to say, am I going to believe or am I going to stray away? Am I going to walk toward him or am I going to walk away? In those crises of faith, those are life-defining moments. When we come to faith in Christ, when we say, Jesus, I want the gift that you offer me and I trust you. I believe your promises are true and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a crisis event. That is a once for all, your life is different afterwards kind of event. But there's also this very practical, progressive 
do I look just like Jesus because I prayed a prayer? Am I, am I a finished product now? Not at all. There's this idea, we, uh, oftentimes it's referred to as positional versus practical. When I say, Jesus, I want the gift you offer me, positionally, when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees perfected me. I have access to him like I could only have if I was perfect. Am I perfect? No. Now there is the practical, as long as I am on this earth, working out my salvation, working out this transformation that's taking place in me. The writer of Hebrews kind of captures it in one verse. He says this, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Do you hear the it's done, but it's still in process? We have been made perfect. When God looks at us, he sees our perfected selves, yet he's still doing the work of making us holy. We're not actually finished products yet. It's, it's a very difficult thing for us to wrap our heads around because, you know, time. God doesn't necessarily have that problem. He can look at us and see the finished work of Jesus in our lives and yet see, okay, they've got a long ways to go. Let's work with them through this. Paul captures this in Romans. I'm going to skip a couple verses in Romans chapter 6. He says, but we shall say, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin, finished, done. How can we live to it any longer? A few verses later, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, past tense, done. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Past tense, done. You've been given the keys. The shackles are unlocked. It's been done. But then four verses later, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead. Like this is now practical. Make these choices. It was done and it's over with. Now choose to live this way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace." It has been done for you. It has been accomplished. Jesus took care of it on the cross once and for all. Now every day, pick up your cross and live it out again. God has perfected you. He has given you the gift of his son's perfection so that you can even have relationship with God. Now, Paul would say, live a life worthy of that calling and start piece by piece trying to pick up that perfection and put it on. You'll never do it fully until the day you die. Don't get me wrong but that we should always be moving in that direction. What God tells me I already am, now I need to actually live out. Is this making sense? Again, it's, it's a difficult uh, thing to, to, to wrap our heads around. It's a crisis event. It happened one time for all, yet it's this progressive experience. We don't experience the perfection fully yet. 2 Corinthians 3.17, which we've already read, talks about the same thing. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You've already been given freedom. 
we all with unveiled faces are looking in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, which means increasing glory. I thought I understood it yesterday, but today I'm seeing it even more fully. I thought I was living it yesterday, but today I'm able to live it even more fully. It's this progressive thing. The question is, do I look more like Jesus this year than I did last year? Day-to-day can be tricky because today's a bad day. But what about week after week, month after month? Do I look more like Jesus than I did before? If not, you have some issues. You have some things you need to work on, and I'm going to guess they all circle around giving the Holy Spirit access to areas in your life. I truly believe that the Lord is a gentleman, and he will not force himself on us. If we stiff arm him and tell him no, he will respectfully step back, and we will suffer for it. When we invite him in, when we give him access, he will come and do for us what we couldn't even imagine doing for ourselves. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be fully sanctified, fully dedicated to the will of God. We will receive power for holy living and effective service. And we will experience this progression day by day, week by week, month by month, until we day, the day we see the Lord face to face and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's his will, it's his power, and it's our submission. It is our job to give him access to every area of our lives and watch what he does. He is a good Father, let him into those areas. Taste and see what the Lord will do. I'm going to ask the music team to come up and if you would pray with me. Lord Jesus, we find ourselves in this weird spot. We, we know the right answer is that you are a good father and that you can be trusted. Yet daily we have to wrestle with that. Is he really, can he really be trusted? Lord, may we see your transforming work evidenced in the areas of life that we've already invited you into. May we spend time looking back at how you've already worked and moved. And may that produce faith in us, God. Faith that allows you to come into the next room. Faith that allows you to meddle in the next area because you have our own good at heart. Because you desire to see us fully alive Lord, you desire to see us moving and working in power in our community, in our church, in our family to be completely transformed and made new through the power of your Holy Spirit that the world would step back and be in awe of you. Lord, may you give us this gift of faith little by little, ever increasing until finally one day we see you and we go, I knew I was right to trust you. I knew it. May you be glorified in us, God, as we submit ourselves to your working. You are a good father and you can be trusted. In Jesus' name, amen.